What's up, sports fans? It's time for Let Me Speak. I'm Joe Braverman, and on this show, we discuss the big news in the world of sports as heard from me, myself, and I. Here's what we'll be talking about this week. The NFL teams that have shifted after two weeks in our power and bottom rankings. Plus, the landscape of college football ahead of Championship Saturday. And, should Draymond Green really have no regrets after returning from his suspension? You're listening to episode 95 of Let Me Speak. Let's get things started. Fire up the intro! Let me speak. back coming at you here on tuesday november 28th 2023 for episode 95 of let me speak thank you once again for tuning in wherever you are listening or watching this podcast as again we get hyped for the countdown as we are so close to number 100 and i i mentioned it that in 2023 early um that when we I had no intentions of getting this thing to 100 episodes. So when early 2024 comes around and we hit that 100 mark, it's going to be quite, quite a celebration. I promise you I'm going to try and have such a big, maybe the biggest episode that we'll have ever had. You know, we're going to put a lot of effort into it. But uh, for those that missed it, we were off last week for the Thanksgiving holiday. So I hope everyone had a very safe, a pleasant, a healthy thanksgiving with your friends and your family but don't lay around too soon because christmas is just going to be right around the corner you know once thanksgiving comes to an end now the lights have to go up the tree is going up and you got to do your christmas shopping me personally now that thanksgiving has passed i am all for it i am the worst i am the worst when it comes to people who hang up trees and lights before the thanksgiving thanksgiving holiday even begins so that that irks me a little bit, a little grind my gears, but that's for a segment later on in the future. Of course, there's been a lot of developments, as we always uh, do in the NFL, and we start, obviously, with our top 10 and our bottom 10 of the power rankings, and a lot has changed in two weeks. There's been some big-time injuries. There's been some big-time matchups, um, and like I had said the last time we were on, there could, have been, there could be a drastic shift um, once we get uh, back from our two-week break and sure enough a lot of things have happened where i've got almost a whole new list uh that i'm cranking out here so here's our top 10 as we always do we started with our top 10 getting things started after week 12 number 10 is going to be a little bit surprising but i'm going to put the houston texans in the number 10 spot even though they lost to jacksonville now Really, the only reason I'll put the Texans and our number nine team, who we'll get to in a little bit here, is because the two teams that have the better record than them, that would be Pittsburgh and Cleveland, I just don't trust them. I think they have really bad offenses. And um, when it gets to those big-time games, you know, can their offense put up like 20 points or so? I'm not sure that Kenny Pickett and Dorian Thompson-Robinson is able to do that. I know they got tremendous defenses, but... This is an offensive-driven league, 
where you need to put up points. And if they're putting up 14 a game, that's not going to be good enough. Just not good enough. So that's why I have to slot the Texans here at number 10. And this has kind of been a long time coming because, you know, I'm really, I'm not like really someone to buy into rookies really on being like, oh, this guy's going to have a great career. And I got to tell you, that theory is getting stretched because of CJ Stroud and what Houston has been able to do. I think the offense is legit. I'm not going to say that in four years that this team is going to find themselves into the Super Bowl. No, but I think CJ Stroud has maybe the most potential uh, out of the recent quarterbacks that I've seen, maybe from 2020 and beyond. Um, I mean, the last hyped rookie quarterbacks that we had in the last three years or so was Justin Fields and Mac Jones. And look at where they both are right now. So let's hold off on this. But the only difference is with C.J. Stroud is that he's actually been atop the league for all season. He's the second leading passer in the league, only behind Sam Howell. So if you have that core of him, Tank Dell, Nico Collins, and they continue to build up the defense that they have, this is going to be a team that's going to be good for a long, long time, but I'm not, but that's only on the potential. I'm not going to mark it down right here and say that CJ Stroud's going to have a tremendous career. Everyone has one great year and then falls off. And plus the recent history with Ohio state quarterbacks is not that very good. You want just a couple of names, uh, Terrell Pryor, uh, Justin Fields. Okay. So Ohio state is not, they're not known for producing quarterbacks. So, I want to hold off on C.J. Stroud, but I will say the theory that I have about buying into rookie QBs is getting a little bit tested. You know, <laughs> it's getting a little bit tested. Hey, if uh, C.J. Stroud can get Houston into the playoffs and maybe win a playoff game, then we might have a different discussion. You know, it's sort of kind of a wait and see right now, uh, at least in my eyes with Houston. Um, number nine, uh, as I said, who I got to pick similar to Houston because I don't trust Pittsburgh and Cleveland. I got to put Denver here because I would not have picked Denver to turn things around the way they have getting themselves to six and five after their one and five start. And I remember after that 70 to 12 loss uh, to Miami, I said this whole Sean Payton, Russell Wilson experiment is just blowing up in everyone's faces. Like I was literally laughing that this was going to be the shortest lived marriage. I thought I had ever seen, but I also said that Sean Payton needs to just let Russell Wilson do his thing because he's been around long enough and just to focus on the defensive side and the ball. And sure enough, both things have happened. Russell Wilson is top five in overall completion percentage. He's top five in touchdowns. He's only thrown four picks this year. And keep in mind, during this five-game winning streak, he's completing 73% of his passes. He's thrown eight touchdowns, and he's got zero picks. So Russell Wilson is starting to get comfortable in this situation in the system that Sean Payton has provided because he's doing his thing. You know, he's never Russell Wilson has never been uh, a big stats guy. You know what I mean? He just goes out there and he makes the plays when he needs to. He's basically sort of an above average game manager, essentially, is what we're looking at. Uh, so he's doing that. And Payton has turned this defense around sensationally. I mean, during this five game winning streak. They've only allowed 16 points per game. That's really good. And I understand, you know, it's to a team where I don't sell the offense in Cleveland. But still, the fact that you're allowing that many points, no matter who the opponent is, is extremely impressive. Not only that, they now are at the top of the league 
uh, in most takeaways in the NFL. So there is a possibility that this Denver team can get themselves into the wild card, especially with a struggling Raiders and a struggling Chargers team. Denver can easily slide in there for what I thought was going to be a good AFC has now turned out to be a below average AFC. So that's why I think this is one of the only teams that has gone from top 10 to bottom 10 uh, since our return and doing these power rankings. Number eight, though, I'm going to leave Jacksonville in this one right here at eight and three. Now, record shows that they're one of the top teams in the AFC, but let's pump the brakes a little bit because, yes, they're squeaking out wins, but they're and they're squeaking them out to a team like yesterday or uh, Sunday, sorry, with the Texans, where it took a Matt Amendola missed field goal that hit the crossbar and division games always uh, produce anything. But this is still a very young team. You know, offensively, they still have turnover issues because if they clean that up, they're a very dangerous team. Look at last Sunday. They got nearly 450 yards of offense. Trevor Lawrence was great once again, 364 yards and a touchdown, but he also has a pick. You know, the really good quarterbacks don't have basically a, a plus five on their turnover margin. You know, Lawrence on the year is 12 touchdowns to seven interceptions. So he's got to be able to limit those mistakes. And not only that, but offensively, the the run game needs to come back alive because they got to be much more effective what they've already been really more. So Travis Etienne. the fact that he had 56 of the 81 team rushing yards and he rushed the ball 20 times. That's how you get this offense to be extremely, extremely dangerous. And I already heart on their defense, how they're sort of a ball hawking bend don't break uh, kind of defensive group that they have, but that's just what Doug Peterson always has for his group, whether he was with Philly or he's with Jacksonville. Now um, I will say the next big test to me is going to be the Ravens in week 15, because this week uh, upcoming uh, against the Bengals, I don't think it's going to be that competitive, but when we get to week 15 and they play again, another high caliber opponent, do they wilt under pressure like they did against San Francisco? Because they're kind of in the lions and the dolphins group of Yes, they've got this good record, but look at their schedule. When they play teams above 500, they kind of crumble a little bit. So I want to see that game in Week 15. But for now, I'm going to hold off on labeling Jacksonville as a top team in the AFC. Yes, they're a division leader, but I'm not going to pick them as a Super Bowl contender. Um, I did aforementioned the Lions. I'm going to put them at number seven. Their loss on Thanksgiving to Green Bay. It, it really got me thinking, like, what on earth is going on with, with Dan Campbell and the Lions team? It seems like every time that we hype them up and they look to be one of the top teams in the league, they just, they wilt and they struggle. And I kind of came to the idea that Detroit, when it comes to, like, the outside noise, they're better just flying under the radar rather than being recognized as contenders. So, if people start telling them, look at eight and three, eight and three, they're on their way in a, a bad NFC conference or anything like that, then they start to struggle. And that's when sort of Dan Campbell, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, really gets in his own head. I mean, why were you going for a fourth down five times? You were one and five on fourth down. So I think Dan Campbell needs to just work a little bit harder to sort of get that mindset of we are underdogs. Don't listen to what anyone else thinks. Because I think they love 
that underdog mentality. That's what helped them last year after their really bad start. So I think you got to put away those ideas that everyone's saying that they're a team. Yes, they're winning their division, but Dan Campbell has to be convincing enough to his group that says, yes, we're good, but people still think we're underdogs. The problem is a lot of people don't think they're underdogs. Um, So that's off the field. But on the field, I mean, if you're allowing Green Bay to gain 377 yards of offense, that's a problem. So defense has got to be there. And really for Jared Goff, he's not as untouchable as he was before. I think at the beginning of the year, he had like 350-something pass attempts before throwing an interception. But now look at him in his last two games. Six turnovers in his last two. You got three fumbles uh, lost on Thanksgiving. You threw three picks the week before against Chicago. And then you have the whole team as a minus five turnover margin. If you're a contending team, you can't have a minus turnover margin. That's just plain as day. Plain as day. You cannot have that. So Detroit has got to turn things around, and they got to turn it around fast because everyone's going to go back to this Detroit mindset of, oh, they haven't won a playoff game in forever, and it looks like that streak's going to continue. So in the locker room, Dan Campbell convince those guys that they are still underdog. Maybe even use that. Use that playoff drought as a motivation. You know, that's what I would be doing if I were the head coach in that Detroit locker room. Uh, Number six, I am going to put the Dolphins in there. Again, I mentioned them. Uh, They and the Jets played in the first ever Black Friday game in the NFL, and it was not a contest at all. 34 to 13, the Dolphins, per usual, crushing a really bad team. And it's probably going to continue until uh, the end of the year when they start playing teams that are 500 or above. Now, offensively, this is not the same Miami team that we saw. Remember how explosive they were, not just putting up the 70 points uh, against Denver, but it was sort of this unique concept that Mike McDaniel was uh, providing where he really used the speed of the running backs like A-Chain and Mostert, and then uh, interesting, you know, different concepts for Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. And they're still moving, you know, they're still getting the yards. They had 400 yards of offense. Um, But I don't know. It's kind of similar to what I've said about the Eagles for a long time. They're just not as dominant as they were before. I mean, part of it is that Tua uh, and the rest of the offense continues to turn the ball over. I mean, Tua's had five turnovers in his last two games. He's now got uh, 10 interceptions on the year, which is tied for the fourth most. Um, And then you just look overall, similar to my uh, Detroit, minus five on the turnover margin, and they've given the ball away 19 times. 19 times in 11 games they have given the ball away. That's not the formula for success. So they've really got to clean up uh, those turnovers. And defensively, now it's going to be a little bit of a struggle if you don't have Jalen Phillips, which... Uh, when he tore, uh, had the really bad Achilles injury at MedLife. I mean, that's that stadium and that turf is a conversation for another day. But I'm not really going to focus in on Miami until those last three games of the year. As I mentioned, the last three is they're hosting the Cowboys. They travel to Baltimore, and then they host the Bills. The Cowboys and the Ravens are going to be the really two big ones. If they can win those games, I mean, it's not going to move the needle a lot for me, but at least it's going to move it into a positive direction because we've seen – those three losses to uh, Buffalo when they were good, to Kansas City, and to Philly. You know, those are Super Bowl, or for Buffalo at the time, were Super Bowl contending teams. The Cowboys and the Ravens are in that conversation. 
If they can win those, they're going to move the needle slightly into the positive range. So that's what I see for Miami. I'm not going to pay attention to when they go to D.C. and face the Commanders because that should be an easy win. And it's going to be the same thing this week as we'll say next week, beating a bad team. Uh, Number five, speaking of Dallas, I'm putting the Cowboys into the top five just because when you have three straight wins is good, but consecutive blowout wins really, really does help. And I know that it was the Giants, the Panthers, and the Commanders, and that they have a 9-26 and record combined. Um, But still, the fact that these are three straight blowout wins is impressive to me. And Dak Prescott continues to be the quarterback that everyone expects him to be. Four more touchdown passes on the day, only 10 incompletions, 330 yards, Um, I will say the next three weeks are going to be very, very important for Dallas because they've got a Thursday night game this week versus Seattle. Then they have another division matchup against the Eagles, and then they travel to Buffalo. So these three weeks are going to be crucial for Dallas if they can continue these winning ways. I'm not necessarily looking for blowouts, but if if they can win these games, they can start to really turn some heads because we know what Dallas does, at least in the 21st century. They get to the playoffs and they choke. You know, whether it's the first game or it's the second game, they can never get to a conference championship, much less a Super Bowl. So they need to continue these dominating wins to turn things around. But getting wins to start will at least be helpful. That's step one. You know, step two will be convincing wins. And then step three will hopefully have people take them seriously. Because right now, yes, they're top five for me but I still can't take them seriously to be a Super Bowl team because once they get to the playoffs, they're probably just going to choke unless they turn things around. You know, that's just how I see it uh, with Dallas. And I know America probably sees it that way with the Cowboys too. Uh, Getting into the top four, I'm going to put the Niners here uh, at eight and three, taking down the Seahawks on Thanksgiving in Seattle. I mean, that three-game losing streak is so far in the past that might be in another dimension right now. I mean, that defense just looks as good as before. They did exactly what they had to do um, in getting the weapons in uh, Chase Young, putting him on the opposite line with Nick Bosa. And now when you look at these last three games, I mean, Jacksonville, Seattle, um, I forget the third one, but they've allowed 30 points total in the last three games between those three. Um, And now they've got a really, really tough test against Philly, uh, which is basically, I think to me, it's a preview of the NFC championship uh, between the Niners and the Eagles. But I think whoever wins that game is going to give me, at least me, a big confidence boost onto who I can put my money on to head to the Super Bowl out of the NFC because the Niners still have those tools. And they once they got healthy, they came out of their bye week and they just came out firing absolutely firing and made me get back on the train of this is the Super Bowl favorites um the thing is they did have that three game losing streak and if Philly makes them look silly then that's going to be a step back which is probably not a good thing uh to have for a uh, 49ers fan getting into the top three I'm gonna keep the Ravens here I'm I'm leaving them at three they beat the Chargers on Sunday night football And this was the first time I got to see uh, a Ravens game from start to finish. And everything that I had looked at on highlights um, and in clips and read about with stats, they're all true. Um, This is probably Lamar Jackson's best offense that he's had uh, in his five or six-year career since he's been a starter 
with Baltimore. I, I love the receiver group that they have. I think Save Flowers is a sensational rookie receiver. Uh, you put that with uh, a really good running game. I mean, the only issue, though, is now no Mark Andrews. Obviously, he had that injury on Thursday night against Cincinnati. Um, and that's been Lamar's top target ever since he became a starter. And if you're missing an all-pro tight end, um, then that's going to be some big issues. So I think that receiver core has to step up, and they need consistency from the running backs. And that's what they got on Sunday night against uh, L.A. They got nearly 200 yards on the ground. And I look at Keaton Mitchell, I see Gus Edwards, you know, the big thing that I said preseason that would get in the way for Baltimore are the injuries. And sure enough, Edwards is healthy. Mitchell is healthy. Those two need to take charge and be able to lead the running game. Not Lamar Jackson leading the running game. Those two right there. Because I still think Lamar Jackson's arm is going to be the one area that tips the scale. Only threw for 177 and a touchdown but it's those big plays when they're going to matter. Because let's face it, the game winner was just a jet sweep for Zay Flowers, and he took off. So I'm not going crazy about the Ravens. I still think they're a very good team. Um, but similar to Dallas, they've got to be able to make the big plays when they count, more so in Lamar Jackson. That's just what I see with Baltimore. They've got a lot of talent and a lot of potential on both sides of the ball. It's just a matter of, can they do it in those big time moments? Because they didn't do it against Cleveland. Uh, there was a time they didn't do it against Pittsburgh. So consistency, consistency, consistency. Try saying that three times fast. Number two, I'm going to put the Chiefs here, obviously, at number two, knocking off the Raiders. I mean, I still have concerns about the offense and the recent scoring struggles. I mean, the fact that they were down 14 to the Raiders. Um, they had some really bad drops against Philly the week before. I mean, I, I say it again. It's the the talent around Patrick Mahomes has been the struggle point. I mean, the fact that they basically do not have a running game. I mean, yes, they got two touchdowns from Isaiah Pacheco, but Pacheco had 55 yards by himself, and the team only had 69, nice, on the ground. So it's that. It's the draws by the receivers. It's the fact that Travis Kelsey isn't making the usual impact that he normally does. You got to keep in mind, this is a top 10 targeted receiver. Um, he's a top five receiver overall once the year is ending. But right now, he's 18th in targets. He's 20th in receiving. So I don't know how healthy Kelsey is. Is it his age? Because, I mean, he isn't really moving as effective as he normally is. He's not creating a ton of separation like he normally does. I mean, yes, he's in his mid-30s, so you'd expect some kind of slowdown. But at least for the early time being, if Mahomes doesn't have Kelsey, then he's screwed. He is screwed, and it would suck that the defense for Kansas City, which I have harped on for years, you know, this is maybe the best defense in the league, and I'm going to sing their praises, but if this defense is wasted from the offense and, and the unusual step back that they take, that would be so disappointing. So disappointing. I still think that Kansas City will eventually turn things around and start looking like themselves again. But as of right now, this is not the same team that we saw a couple of years ago when they just continue to make championship after championship. Number one, I think, should be pretty obvious, and that's the team with the league's best record by a mile, and that's the Eagles at 10-1. and one. I mean, the fact that they were able to grind out a win at home in the pouring rain and wind 
against Buffalo in overtime, 37 to 34. Again, they're still not dominant, but they're still winning. I mean, look at the schedule. It was funny. I looked at the schedule and realized they've beaten teams like Miami, Dallas, Kansas City, and Buffalo uh, in respective order. And it's not going to get any easier when next week they got to play San Fran, then they got to play Dallas again. They got to go up to Seattle. I mean, I have to give full credit to Philly. Uh, I've been harping on them that they're not as dominant, but I, I have to look at greatness when I see it. 10-1 and one is really, really good. Now, in terms of what are their chances for a Super Bowl, I think similar to what Lamar Jackson is going through, Jalen Hurts is going through that same thing. Early on in uh, the success, he was able to use his weapons like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and at the time, Dallas Goddard. But now he's focusing too much, to me, on the run category. I think he's running a little bit too much. And, uh, you know, these designed uh, quarterback draws, I think, are are happening too much. I can understand when it's the brotherly shove or anything like that. But these designed plays, I mean, I, I think they got to get away from that. I think Nick Sirianni's got to draw up some more passing plays because Hertz has thrown 207, 150, and 200 in three straight games. Now, we can be trusted to make the big plays and the, obviously the game winner uh, in overtime. That I'm okay with. But I think he's got to get the air attack much more involved because you have arguably one of the top three receivers in football in A.J. Brown. Use him. You've got a extremely dependable number two receiver in Devontae Smith. Use him. And, of course, you've got your assortment of running backs like DeAndre Swift, uh, Kenneth Gainwell, just to name a few of them. Uh, they will eventually get Dallas Goddard back. But I think for Philly to be true Super Bowl favorites, Jalen Hurts has got to throw the ball much more than he than he is because 207, 150, 200, that's not going to cut it. Not going to cut it at all. So that's how I see uh, the top 10 looking out. More, more changes in the back half than the front half. I don't think those are uh, changing anytime soon. As for the bottom 10, I had to do a lot of rearranging because I initially had the idea and then a bunch of things crossed my mind. I had to get them out of the way. So number 10, I hate to do it because yes, they are a 500 team, but the Minnesota Vikings are starting to come back down to earth. The Joshua Dobbs magic is gone. You saw it last night on Monday night against Chicago. The fact that it was 12 to 10 being the final score Dobbs throwing four interceptions to a defense like Chicago. It, it's not pretty. And obviously, you know, this is what Minnesota fans had feared when they lost Kirk Cousins to the injury. I mean, it was bad enough to lose Justin Jefferson, but then your quarterback is gone and Joshua Dobbs, you know, that magic is just kind of wearing off. And the story isn't getting any better. And honestly, when Justin Jefferson does return, hopefully after Minnesota's bye week, I don't even think he can fix things because they've got Jordan Addison, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, I love their tight end, TJ Hawkinson. I don't even think that can can be fixed. So I hate to say it, but I think Minnesota's just going to keep going down, down, down. And luckily, they got a couple of those wins with Dobbs, which kept them a little bit relevant. But I hate to say it. I, I don't think Minnesota's going to be getting back to their winning ways anytime soon. I hate to say that. Because uh, the story was kind of cool with Dobbs, the fact that he was basically, uh, he came in for uh, the rookie at one point. Um, and he basically was learning the playbook as the game was going on. Um, I thought that story was cool, but now I think that lust uh, and that magic is, is going away, I hate to say. 
Uh, number nine is a, a new team on this bottom 10. And I got to put Tampa in there because I, I, I hate to see it because this team started three and one and they have really fallen off. If you want to do the math, if they're three and one, they go to four and seven. Now that means they're one and six in their last seven, including this past loss to Indy. It's funny that the offense and the defense can never really sync up with each other. I mean, I looked at the, uh, the stats on the defense, the pass defense is really, really bad. I mean, the fact you're giving up 27 to Garner Minshew out of all people um, is really bad. And Baker Mayfield, his turnovers are getting more and more amplified. You know, they could get away with it because there would always be a deep shot to Mike Evans, slant over the middle of Godwin. Um, but now it's it's kind of going away. Now they're more amplified because... Uh, the defense can never stop anybody. Of course, they were missing a couple of pieces, but hopefully they can get back on track against the Panthers this upcoming week. I mean, Carolina fired their coach. They're in a total disarray. So I think Tampa's got to capitalize on that. Maybe, just maybe, if they can win, they can get themselves out of this bottom 10. Number eight, I am going to put the Titans on here. You know, I'm not going to go crazy because I mentioned the aforementioned Panthers and what they were going through. Um, you know, 17 points. For Will Levis in that offense, not something to uh, really be excited about. Um, but Levis, I think, does need to air it out a little bit. He's got to go deep some more. In that game, he was only averaging about six and a half yards uh, per attempt. I think he's got to take more deep shots and really trust himself ra- rather than, you know, go for some check downs. Because as I say week after week, he's got to have a dependable Derrick Henry. You know, Henry's kind of showing his age. He's He's slowing down a little bit. Um, and he's not as effective as what he once was. So I think Levis has to take chances. And come on, Tennessee's not going anywhere. I think Mike Vrabel is audacious enough to take some chances, maybe some deep shots to uh, DeAndre Hopkins now and again. I, I think that's what could happen for Tennessee, because let's face it, it's a lost year. It's a lost year for Tennessee. Number seven, speaking of a lost year, I think the commanders have the most lost year right now, uh, getting smoked by the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. I mean, I'll put it to you like this. Defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio got fired only a few days after that game. He's not going to be the only one that gets fired. I think Ron Rivera is going to be that fall guy. Uh, You know, he is a defensive guy, but the defense is the biggest issue right now. In their three straight games consecutively, 29 to Seattle, 31 to the Giants, 31 to the New York football Giants, and then 45 to the Cowboys consecutively. Yeah, I can see why you'd want to make the change. But I think Ron Rivera is just on his way out the door. I still like Sam Howell to be their quarterback, at least for the next few years. Um, I I think defensively, they just really got to load up because they did just trade two of their top guys. Um, I think they got to revamp the offensive line and then defense entirely, I think is what the commanders got to do. And it's not going to get any easier when they face Miami next week. Uh, Number six, I don't know why I didn't have them here sooner, but the Jets right now at four and seven. I mean, let's put it like this. If Tim Boyle is your quarterback, there's problem number one right there. I mean, ever since Aaron Rodgers went out four snaps into his Jets career, it's just been a nightmare. There have been some bright spots, but it's just been one overall nightmare. I mean, Zach Wilson, that experiment has officially blown up. I don't even think he's going to be the backup for next year. I mean, he got demoted all the way to third string um, and was inactive and basically the emergency third or whatever. So I I think his Jets career is over. I don't even know if he'll have a another job in the NFL come next year. So I I think with this high pick or maybe you know, an early round pick like a second or a third, Robert Sala and that Jets team should 
try and get a quarterback um, to learn behind Rodgers. Because let's face it, what does Aaron Rodgers have? Two, three more years, if any. Um, so they want to get someone who I think, you know, because they expected that Zach Wilson could develop behind Rodgers. But, you know, even if he was learning while being a starter, there's not any improvements to be made with Zach Wilson. And I do really feel like Rodgers is kind of blowing smoke up everyone's, you know what, you know, giving these return hits like, oh, he could practice this week. And then he says on Pat McAfee, oh, it's going to be about playoff position and how capable are they of the winning. This dude ruptured his Achilles. You really expect a guy who ruptured his Achilles to be back three months later? Three months later. This is like an eight to 10 month recovery. And I don't know if he's got some kind of drug deal going on, but unless that's the case and he had some kind of genie who made a wish and granted it saying to be back in the 2023-24 season, he's not coming back, okay? No one should be taking the cheese on that one. Uh, Moving on, though, to the top five, though, I'm going to put Chicago here. I know they won, but, I mean, they only put up 12 points, okay? 12 points um, against a Minnesota team who I mentioned is struggling. I mean, a winner is a win. But really, the big story here is Justin Fields because we know this team is going to have a top two pick, whether it's their own and Carolina, you know, depending on where their team themselves will end up. This is going to be a top two pick. And the question is, with how deep the quarterback class is, is Justin Fields that guy? Has he convinced people to go along with him? Honestly, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet if they're putting up single-digit points still. I mean, it won't get any better because it's a bye week, but I'm just, I'm not there yet. I did say the last time that this stretch is the most crucial in Justin Fields' playing career because if he plays well, then the uh, Bears will probably use that pick somewhere else other than quarterback. But if he struggles, you're going to have all those voices in Chicago to Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus saying, we need a new guy, we need a new guy. So... I'm still not there with Justin Fields yet. There's still a couple of games left for him for me to change my mind. It's still kind of a wait and see kind of thing for him. Uh, Number four, I made a little bit of movement here. I put the Giants here because they got the win, and now they're at two straight. I know it's the Commanders and the Patriots, but for some reason, Tommy DeVito has brought energy to MetLife and to the Giants that really New York needed. You know, not saying that this is going to be your quarterback come next year once Daniel Jones has recovered, but... I just think the Giants were looking for some kind of energy and they weren't able to find it anywhere, you know, even with the wins that they had. But the fact that Tommy DeVito, the story that he has of he's a Jersey guy, he still lives with his parents. Um, it's only a short drive from him. You know, at least they're having fun. At least they're having fun with it. Um, it's not going to last long because the opponents are only going to get better. Uh, for the Giants, but it's just a nice little story to have. And the Giants sort of needed that spark, especially when you have a drop off, a drop off of going to the playoffs a year ago and then all of a sudden being at the bottom of the league once again. So it's nice for the Giants to have uh, this kind of story. Number three, though, as we move on, I'm going to go to the Cardinals on this one. I still, you know, yes, they lost to uh, the Rams, but I kind of knew that this was a lost season to begin with. Um, I think Arizona does need to load up a little bit more. I like Kyler Murray's though, sticking around at quarterback. I don't think they have to go quarterback at all. Um, I would focus more if I was in that Arizona management 
just to focus on rebuilding the defense. I mean, right now they've got the second worst defense in terms of points allowed per game, nearly 27 a game. So that's where I think Arizona should really focus on is don't worry about Kyler Murray. We know the season is lost. It's just a matter of how, what kind of top five pick are they going to get right now uh, at two and 10. But Hey, if they can knock off the Steelers, I mean, with an offense like Kyler Murray, if you can grab, you know, 20 points, you can win against Pittsburgh next week. You know, the question is, should they win against Pittsburgh (laughs) is the question. Number two, I had to watch it from start to finish. So I definitely have to put the Patriots here at two and nine. I think after last week, only getting a touchdown against the Giants uh, and their kicker, Chad Ryland, missing a field goal that would have sent it to overtime and the quarterback mess that is going on. I would have probably put them as the worst offense in football. I really, I really, really would. And that's saying a lot when you've got a Carolina team, a Giants team. They've got a really bad offense. It's really, really bad. They've got no talent whatsoever. And honestly, it's not going to get easier because it's the, the Chargers, the Steelers, the Chiefs. They're all up on the schedule. So this might be the worst. You know, it, it's hard to say it as a Patriots fan, but... For a team that has won six Super Bowls and has been historic in the 21st century as they had, this is a team that is in the bottom of the league. And I hope and pray, we'll get into it during Let's Get Local, but I hope and pray that big change is coming for the Patriots because that is what is needed. Uh, but, uh, But luckily for the Pats, they are not the worst team in football. That distinct honor belongs to our number one team, and that is, as they've always been, the Carolina Panthers at one and 10. And sure enough, we got our official dig in the grave of Frank Reich being fired, not even making it his full first season in Carolina. And honestly, it was expected because Bryce Young has digressed rather than progressed. Um, If Bryce Young isn't making any strides and we're in week 12 going on to week 13 and he's not getting better then The first place you start with is the coach. Then, if the years go on, then you can blame the quarterback. Because let's face it, the coach is always the fall guy for an offensive struggles. It's simple. Simple as that. Frank Reich, I I did have high expectations that they would at least be a little bit better than 1-10. But Sunday was just, that was it. That was it. They're now at 1-10. They're not even going to have their top pick. They, I I would hope and pray that they make some kind of trade to get a top 10 pick because that's what they need. They absolutely need to get a high draft pick right now. So there we go. That's that's your top 10. That's your bottom 10 uh, with only a few weeks left. I hope that there is some significant changes in this because let's face it, this season needs a little bit of spark. And we've got some good games coming up. Uh, which I hope will be the case. Uh, But coming up next, we go from the pro football game to the college football game because lo and behold, it's conference championship Saturday upcoming, which means we are that much closer to crowning a national champion in college football. All right, well, let's go from the pro game to the college game because lo and behold, the college football season is coming to an end. We've got one more weekend uh, with conference championships about, and then we will finally learn which bowl games 
are going to be played, who's going to be in the college football playoff. But let's focus on this weekend right here, Conference Championship Saturday, which is always one of the most exciting Saturdays uh, in the calendar year for sports. I mean, I think the big story we have to talk about is how Michigan was able to prevail through Jim Harbaugh's suspension for the sign stealing and found themselves once again in the Big Ten Championship where they'll play Iowa. I mean, me personally, I did not think that they were going to beat Ohio State, but the fa- their offense of J.J. McCarthy, their running back Blake Corum, they did a really good job of managing the ball. They j- basically just went back and forth, and then the defense was able to hold on uh, and hold off Ohio State. Um, I think the defense needs to lock up and force some more turnovers. Um, the good news for Michigan is that they get the offensively challenged Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. Um, and I think now that Jim Harbaugh will get back on the sideline, that's going to feed some extra motivation because, I mean, let's face it, when Harbaugh got suspended, everyone was saying, oh, bet, bet. You even heard Tom Brady tweet out bet. Um, and while they weren't pretty wins, they were wins without Jim Harbaugh. So if they can win without Jim Harbaugh, they can easily win with Jim Harbaugh. They should easily win this one. They should blow out Iowa. And I hate to say it because I got to meet Kirk Ferentz when I was a kid um, back when Iowa upset Penn State back in 2009 uh, in that rain-soaked game at Happy Valley. Um, So I got to know Kirk Ferentz a little bit. I hate to say it, but they're just so offensively challenged. They've got a really good defense. I mean, they're... Their defense is really good, but offensively is just a big issue right now. So I, I should pick Michigan to win that one, and I think Michigan will get themselves into the playoff conversation. I mean, we don't know what the playoff is like now. We'll hear about that 25 uh, when the when the episode gets released, but we don't know right now when we're recording. But if I had to bet, I would say Michigan winning out should get themselves into the playoff conversation and probably that number two seed, depending on how things go. Um, but that's sort of the the easy pick I can make. The difficult pick for me is the Pac-12 title game. Oregon and Washington, five and six. Uh, what a tremendous game they had a couple of weeks ago, or a, a month a, month and a half ago, back on October 14th. It took a missed tying field goal from the Ducks to give Washington the win. And I've kind of turned to our football guys uh, at EEI, that being Andy Hart, uh, who you can hear on the uh, Rich Keefe show, obviously on the Six Rings post game show as well. I've also talked to producer of the Greg Hill show, Chris Scheim. He's he's pretty keen on uh, draft experts, and they're both kind of down on Michael Penix Jr., the quarterback for Washington. Uh, between him and uh, you got veteran Bo Nix for Oregon. I mean, I'm more of a fan of Nix than Penix. I think, um, at least for Bo Nix, he. He was at Auburn, so he has a little bit more experience with this. Plus, Washington is already, uh, I mean, they both haven't had huge competition wins yet, but I think the motivation of losing back on October 14th should, at least for me, give the edge to Oregon because I think they felt that they were the better team um, and it just took a field goal uh, that was missed to give Washington that win. And plus, Washington... I just don't know. Just some some kind of feeling I get where I think Oregon could easily win this one. So I'm going to take Oregon in this one. Um, and I do think the winner, whoever it is, whether it's Oregon or Washington, I think the winner will get themselves into the playoff. Because I think the Pac-12 
has just been that good. They've had a lot of hype with them. And I think obviously Washington gets in regardless, but I think Oregon should get in. I think Oregon should get in if they are able to win this one. That's how I see it with these two. Uh, moving on to the SEC championship, we get we got Georgia and Alabama once again. Um, me personally, I would be shocked if the Tide are considered for a playoff spot because I just it, I have this working theory that the committee just wants to you know get eyeballs and get TV ratings and stuff like that. And Alabama's always you know control alt delete uh, the team on on that side. You know they want to see Nick Saban in these big time games, but um, you know. They did lose early on in the year, and yes, it was to Texas. Um, and Texas is, I think, top 10 right now in the rankings. Um, so I could see it, but I would be shocked um, if they are in consideration. And they need a lot of things to go right, but I would be shocked if they do get selected for a playoff. Um, I, I It was unreal to see them come back, because let's face it, if they had lost to Auburn, they would have been right out of there. Um just that huge fourth and goal play. Jaden Milrow with an absolute dime in the back of the end zone um, to win the Iron Bowl. I mean, let's just put it like this. This is not the best defense Nick Saban has had, but he's just one of those coaches that always has his team in it. So I'm not going to count out Alabama just yet, but it's almost been too easy for Georgia. Like Georgia's just been running through the entire college football field for the past like two and a half years. So it almost seems like too easy to pick Georgia and to just say, yes, the Bulldogs are going to win this. They'll get themselves to the playoff and to the national championship game. Um, it, it seems too easy that Bama could catch them off guard, but I just think this isn't, you know, the same strong Bama team that we've seen in the past. And I think Kirby Smart um, will have his team ready. So I will pick Georgia to win the SEC title game, get themselves that top seed in the college football playoff. Uh, and then the last conference title game I wanted to talk about uh, was the ACC title game. We've got uh, Florida State and Louisville. I think this is probably got the biggest chance for an upset because Florida State hasn't really been tested since they lost Jordan Travis, their quarterback, uh, with a really bad injury. I mean, they've played North Alabama and they've played Duke. Okay. Uh, Louisville, I understand they're 10-2, and two, but they are still a very, very strong team. Um, and... You can't rely on Tate Rotomaker to make these big plays like Jordan Travis would. So it's going to have to come down to a strong defensive outing uh, against Louisville. I mean, the defense has only allowed 17 points per game. Um, but if if it gets to a point where Tate Rotomaker has to come up with a game-winning drive, I can't see it. I just can't see it. And I hate to, you know, mark this because... If Florida State wins out, they'll go to the playoffs, but it's going to be Tate Rotomaker to be the quarterback rather than Jordan Travis. You know, they should be able to, if they win, they should be in. But I just hate to see that Jordan Travis is not going to be the quarterback for that one. Um, I think I might go with the upset here, though. I might go with Louisville here to knock off Florida State because the Seminoles haven't really been challenged. Uh, as I said, they haven't been challenged against a really tough opponent since they lost their quarterback. So North Alabama and Duke are nowhere near Louisville. And I think Louisville can catch the Seminoles off guard. That's how I think that's how important I think that quarterback position is to the Seminoles. So it's going to be a fun Saturday 
of college football. I'm really, really looking forward to watching some of those games. Uh, but coming up next, it's not just the NFL and the college game that's got all the headlines. We got the NHL, the NBA, so much more. And we're going to dive into a few of them in our quick hit segment coming up next. So let's move on to our quick hit segment. We got five little subjects that we didn't get to in our first two segments. So we're just going to rapid fire them just like this. Let's start in the NBA. And it's been kind of quiet during uh, the first couple of months. Obviously, the big story was uh, when Draymond Green got suspended uh, for choking Rudy Gobert uh, a couple of weeks ago. We got five games out of that. And he just returned and he spoke when he came back. And he was basically, he basically said, oh, yeah, I'm I'm not changing who I am. I'm going to continue to be me, uh, but I just got to learn to control myself. You know how many times we have heard that from Draymond Green? And you know how much it's got better? None. He has not gotten any better. And I get being unapologetic and continuing to just be yourself. That's cool. But the thing is, he's always getting into trouble. I mean, his final suspension, which many will say costs the Warriors uh, over the Cavs. His preseason punch to Jordan Poole, while teammates might have taken his side, it just created so much friction in the locker room a year ago. And there's so many more examples. You know, it probably would have been better for him to say that I'm not going to apologize for defending my teammates, but I've got to control my actions and not choke guys, you know? I do think this is the road because there is so much drama going on right now in Golden State. From this, you know, we heard Steve Kerr possibly uh, tinkering the starting lineup and uh, bringing Klay Thompson off the bench. Um, it's just, it's so chaotic right now in Golden State. And Draymond Green seems to be at the center of it all the time. So he's going to cost Golden State again at some point. But the thing is, he's just so important to that team i mean he's one in a million he's going to the hall of fame whether you like him or not the fact of his defense his passing the way he's able to screen away from the play he's that important to golden state but the problem is this attitude and just being brass and all this talking you know it's going to get to a point where uh the refs are just going to look at each other and be just like we're not taking this crap anymore because he does have a long, long leash when it comes to this sort of chatter. You know, some guys don't get the kind of leash when it comes to arguing about calls and getting into dust-ups, anything like that. I mean, the league, personally, to me, has gone really soft with the technical fouls and ejections that they're calling, you know, stuff like that. But Draymond is the kind of guy where if he were smart, he would he would have said, I'm going to be myself. Um, but I'm going to uh, address things in a more professional manner. Not just say, oh, against Gobert? I got no regrets about that. So this is a bad road that he's going down. Me personally, it's a bad road that he is is going down, and he's going to cause Golden State at one point. I think he really is, and I would hate for the dynasty to end in that sort of way, but if his contract is coming up, the Warriors might have to just cut ties. He might have to. I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm just going to be monitoring every single every single day, basically. 
Uh, moving on, though, to hockey, uh, this sort of caught my eye a little bit. The NHL All-Star Game is going to go back to uh, a player draft. So what it was, um, I believe they did it twice. This was 2011 and 2015, where uh, a couple of nights before the game, the two captains just draft players, kind of similar to what the NBA has been doing uh, in the past couple of years. But as long as it's not overcomplicated, you know, last year I talked about it with the NBA All-Star Game a couple of weeks ago where they do the draft right before the tip-off, kind of like a schoolyard kind of thing. That's where it was overcomplicated. With this, just do not overcomplicate it. Give it to a couple of days. I think they're going to do this on a Thursday or whatever. Do it on that timeline. Have the draft. Have a couple of practices. And then play the game. You know, I don't really watch NHL All-Star games like I do any other, like a Pro Bowl or the NBA All-Star game or MLB All-Star game. But as long as Gary Bettman is not overcomplicating things with this kind of player draft, then I'm cool with it. I'm absolutely cool with it. But that's in the future. Let's talk about the present in the NHL. And the present has Patrick Kane with a new team. He signs with the Red Wings earlier today. Now, I personally am shocked by this because I knew Patrick Kane was going to take some time before uh, signing with a new team. Of course, he's a lifelong Blackhawk. He gets traded to the Rangers. And then he just says he's going to take some time. And sure enough, Detroit comes in and makes the signing. And honestly, this gives Detroit two things for me. Legitimacy and experience. The legitimacy of having a guy who's been to the All-Star game nine times and has won three Stanley Cups um, for a team that is very young. That is very young. So this was a team who initially was joked on. uh, Look at them with the Bruins, you know at the top of the standings, and then they beat the Bruins again. And now they're in a playoff uh, spot for the first time in a very long time. Patrick Kane provides that legitimacy. Um, That's number one. Number two, on experience, this is a very young team. They've got very few players who have playoff experience, and not just playoff experience, but the road all the way to the Stanley Cup and then winning the Stanley Cup. That's the experience factor that I think Kane is really going to help with this Detroit team. So watch out for the Red Wings. They can really make a run here, considering the start that they have gotten off to in this season. Um, Let's go to the MLB on this one, because the offseason has gotten underway. We've seen a couple of small moves being made. Just want to address them really quickly. Aaron Nola, uh, one of the top pitchers on the market, he's going to stay with the Phillies for seven years and $172 million. Obviously, Philly needed it. They need some top-end rotation pieces. And uh, I I think they couldn't have let let him go. It's really the back half of their rotation and their bullpen that they really have to focus on uh, with rebuilding. Because if they had a stronger bullpen, they probably could have knocked off the Diamondbacks and gotten themselves into the World Series and maybe even the win the World Series. So I think this was important for Philly to uh, continue to have Nola. Uh, But staying with pitching the Cardinals reloading their starting rotation with uh, a little bit of, I guess you could call them veterans or old guys in an MLB sense. Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, Sonny Gray, all signing deals with the Cardinals. That just shows me that St. Louis is not wasting too much time in rebuilding their team because we know they've got the lineup pieces with Arenado and Goldschmidt, uh, just to name a few. Um, Pitching was the biggest one for them, obviously, last year. And I don't think individually these three guys, Lynn Gibson and Gray, can fix things. But for a three, four, and five in a rotation, 
that might be pretty good. And maybe it's a part of they know they're going to lose uh, a couple of pieces now and again. So Arizona, uh, sorry, St. Louis, still stuck on football. The St. Louis Cardinals uh, are taking the, the shorter approach and just signing veterans that they hope can turn things around. Uh, but not just signing free agents. Uh, we had a big trade as well. Arizona, the uh, reigning NL champs, uh, reload and get themselves a new third baseman, getting uh, Eugenio Suarez uh, from the Seattle Mariners. And I think this was a good move for Arizona. They needed, they they had a good lineup, but they needed a surefire bat at third base. Of course, you have Evan Longorio, I think is pushing on 40. I think he was really the only guy in that lineup who had some really you know, struggling stats in the postseason. So they needed an everyday third baseman that they could depend on rather than just have them out there for defense. I think Suarez is a really good pickup uh, for the Diamondbacks. But then the last one here, going to back to football, Pro Football Hall of Fame announcing the semifinalists. There's 25 of them. And just a couple of names I ra- wanted to rattle off here. Julius Peppers and Antonio Gates uh, are the only ones who made the semifinalists for their first time, I should say. Uh Gates should definitely make it for sure. I mean, he's he was one of the best tight ends in the 21st century. I mean, if there weren't a Gronk or a Travis Kelsey or maybe even a Tony Gonzalez, this this guy should definitely be up there. He was just a guy who flew under the radar, so dependable for Philip Rivers, and then at the time, uh, Justin Herbert, uh, I think for his rookie year. Um, so Gates was just a dependable tight end. He should definitely make it. I'm kind of iffy on Peppers. I'd be okay if he made it. He didn't really, you know, he he maybe had like a five-year stretch of being extremely feared, but when he went like from Chicago to Green Bay, I kind of was just like, eh, he's not really that guy for me anymore. Uh, Some other name, there are two names I think really need to make it. One is Devin Hester, because in a league where special teams is basically getting outlawed right now, this guy should have made it the first time. I don't know what's taking him so long, but Devin Hester needs to be in the Hall of Fame. This was a guy that coaches would literally game plan around. And you get, you don't do that on special teams anymore. You know, there were guys like uh, Devin Hester, like a, um, oh, I forget, I'm forgetting his name, the guy from Kansas City, uh, Hall. Um, guys like Deshaun Jackson early in his career. They were telling special teams, hey, avoid this guy. Don't let him return the ball. And Hester was the best at doing it. He's got the record for most kick return touchdowns and punt return touchdowns. So this guy should definitely make it. I don't know. He should have been first ballot for sure. That's number one. Number two is Rodney Harrison. I think he's being disrespected and he needs to stop. And it's not just coming from a Patriots fan, but this is a guy whose attitude was, I'm going to hit you in the mouth and not be apologetic about it. And that's what just rubs people the wrong way, which kind of irritates me because this was a guy who was at the forefront of that 21st century, the first three Super Bowls for the Patriots at safety. He was one of those anchors. And honestly, I think he deserves to make it. And if people are not putting him in just because of his attitude, well, that's just shameful on them. Shameful on them. Uh, Vince Wilfork, probably that third guy I should probably just mention. I'm kind of iffy. Again, same here. Of course, he was the the anchor of the the line, the defensive line for the Pats, but he didn't really have any numbers that just you know blew me away and was like that's for sure a Hall of Famer right there. Um, so I I wouldn't be so distraught if he didn't make it for sure. But Rodney Harrison should definitely be the one to make it along with Gates and with uh, Devin Hester. 
Um, so there you go. Those are uh, the quick hits right there. We talked about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We talked some hockey. We talked some basketball. But now we got to shift all of that and focus on one city, and that's the city of Boston as we turn to our Let's Get Local segment of the week. This is our city. Let's take it to the city of Boston and go into our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And once again, we got to start negative. I mean, really, as I think about it, this segment is just entirely negative because we've got the struggling uh, Bruins. we got the Celtics. We're a little bit iffy right now. But of course, the biggest cluster F right now in Boston is the Patriots. They have just turned into a complete cluster F. Um, 10 to 7 to the New York Giants. I mean, that loss is bad. I don't know if there was a loss this year that was more embarrassing. I mean, we debated this on the Six Rings postgame show, myself, Fitzy, and Hart. Like, which one has been the most embarrassing? There's the Washington loss. There's the Saints loss. There's this one. I don't know. I don't know. It's just been embarrassing, embarrassing. And honestly, I was done with the season a couple of weeks ago uh, when they lost in Germany. Um I mean, probably even before that, I was done too. But I just did not think it'd get more worse than this. Um, and I could talk so much about what happened in the game, but it's more so off the field that I really, really want to dive into. I mean, I have been on Bill Belichick pretty much all year for the decisions and the motives that he's had with you know the personnel decisions he's had, whether it be not addressing the offensive line, uh, trading, basically trading uh, Jacoby Myers and bringing in Juju Smith-Schuster, um, not really addressing, you know, the speed on defense. I mean, th- this situation, though, from this past week about the quarterback just takes the cake. I mean, he was basically mum since Germany when Mac Jones got benched for Bailey Zappi on the final drive. Um, and he basically left us in the dark for two weeks, two weeks until we figured out who was going to be the quarterback. And it took a little bit of a hint for Mike Reese. Um, you know, we had all speculated like, oh, it sounds like, and it looks like Mac Jones is going to be the guy, but Bill would never say that outright. So he goes with Mac Jones Mac Jones stinks it up as he always has been doing in the first half halftime. He's benched Bailey Zappi, not any better, but the ball was moving any better my question is what is the motive what is the motive for bill belichick to keep this information so private and then just to cut off your post-game press conference when you're asked is this going to be the plan moving forward is bailey zappy the guy moving forward the fact that he's just doing his his little finger padding you know tap tapping you know basically uh recreating drumline or whatever you know you have some guys who are saying that they knew uh, before the game, uh, that new uh, in the weekend before they traveled, others were saying that they found out like in warmups or whatever. Like, what on earth was this idea for Bill Belichick? I mean, everyone agrees that this was a terrible strategy, a terrible idea. Because yes, while Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi might be the same quarterback uh, in terms of style, think about it from the running backs or the receivers or the offensive line. Like, how do they prepare if they don't know who it's going to be? Both these guys have different cadences. 
different guys have throwing styles. You know, I understand the routes aren't going to, the the routes when you're a receiver aren't going to change or the lanes as a running back aren't going to change. But even if you don't know who's going to be the most important figure on your football team in the quarterback, that's an issue. That's an issue if you don't have the entire locker room on the same page. I mean, we've heard reports that it's been 80-20 about Mac Jones, that they want Zappi to start. And the fact that Belichick continues to put people in the dark about maybe the most important position on an offense in the quarterback. Like, I would not want to be playing for a guy who pulls this stunt. I agree with Devin McCourty on us football night in America before Sunday night football. He was saying if he was a defensive guy, he wouldn't want to be playing with this guy. And you know what? I do too. So he will do situations like this. But the problem is when you're winning, you can, this can be ignored when you're winning. You can say, okay, I agree with what you're doing. But when you're losing like this, people are going to be on your ass. So, so much of this off the field has been mismanaged by Bill. It's incredibly mismanaged. The fact that Belichick continues to just be brash and in his own ways. I mean, I was sort of giving him the benefit of the doubt about coaching on the field rather than being the guy who makes the player personnel changes. The personnel is affecting the coaching. And it's all one guy. It's all Bill Belichick. So they need a new voice if you're making these decisions. If you're literally hanging everyone out to dry. You're making Mac Jones out there like a sitting duck continue to get peppered on with critics. I mean, I sympathize with Mac Jones for what he's had to go through. I still don't think he's the guy. I I said that weeks ago. I said that after another 34-0 loss to the Saints that he was not the guy. And I was a believer at one point. But after this year, I'm out on Mac Jones. But you can't help but feel bad for him and the entire team for what Bill Belichick has decided to present with these guys. The fact that they just look completely undermanned and unprepared for every single game that they go into. I put all of this on Bill Belichick, on the field, off the field. All of it is on that guy. And I hate to see Belichick's legacy get tarnished by this every single week but he's still got six Super Bowl rings. And you know what? It's time for a change. It is time for a change in New England because they are going to get a top three pick. And I don't trust Bill Belichick to make it. They need a new quarterback. They're going to get one, but I don't trust Bill to be the guy to make it. You know, the ideal scenario would be maybe get a Marvin Harrison Jr. at receiver and then maybe get a Jaden Daniels from LSU by trading up either late first round or early second round, and pick him. But do we really trust that Bill Belichick is going to do that? This is a guy who has swung and missed on so many first and second round picks. Like, I tweeted out that the shoulda, woulda, couldas about Bill Belichick's drafting in the first and second round could be a freaking novel. It could be a novel with all of the swings and misses that he had. He could have had Zay Flowers with that pick. Now, granted, it turned into Christian Gonzalez, but still... You've got uh, a pick where you could have traded it and gotten Tyreek Hill. But instead, you go with Cole Strange, who looks like a bust. And you go with Tyquan Thornton in the second round, who looks like a bust. So honestly, for everything, I say adios to Bill Belichick. I've been saying it for weeks, but it's just going to continue to get louder and louder and louder. That Bill Belichick just does not have 
the touch that he used to have. He doesn't have the locker room like he used to have. That's how I see it in New England. They need a new voice as a GM, as a coach, everywhere. Everywhere. They need a fresh voice. I had to take a breath on that one because I feel like it's every single week just ramming on the Patriots for just how bad it is. But, you know, when everyone asks me, hey, have you been watching the Patriots? I've been like, yeah, because I have to do the Six Rings postgame show as a producer. Um, But I've said, you know what? I don't even pay attention as I used to because there's a really good hockey team and there's a really good basketball team out there. The only problem is now that hockey team is starting to struggle after having their electric start. I mean, the Bruins right now are in a real bad funk. They had only lost one regulation game through their first 18 games. I think they were like 16, one and three, maybe like 14, one and three at one point, something like that. Now they've lost three straight. And not only have they lost three straight, they have been completely outmatched by these three opponents. The, uh, the Red Wings, the Rangers, and the Blue Jackets. They've been outscored in those three games by a total of 17 to 6. 17 to 6? That's unheard of for a three-game stretch in a hockey season. Like, it's been so bad. I mean, just the turnovers at the worst time. The really bad penalties. I mean, I could go down the list because I think... I. I had said when they were starting off really well, like look at the opponents and they're playing some tougher opponents. Obviously Detroit uh, and New York are one thing, but if you're getting totally outscored by Columbus, the worst team in the Eastern conference, what are we doing? What are we doing? I think now is the time for, I mean, literally Jim Montgomery has tried everything, everything. He's pulled Jeremy Swayman for Linus Allmark in the second period. Um, He's, called timeouts, and has yelled at the guys. Like, what more can Jim Montgomery do to these guys? Like, I understand going through a bad stretch, but this is just something else. I mean, it's still early in the year, and getting off to that hot start was uh, was was a good start where you can maybe have some of these, uh, you can have some of these stretches, and it won't really bite you. But if you're losing this bad, you can't help but raise an eyebrow at what's going on. And maybe I need to get Bridget Brew back here to really explain what's going on. Cause I'm honestly at a loss for words as to how bad this team is, but they got to turn things around and they got to do it hurry. Cause it's, it's going to get away from them just before you know it, it's going to get away just like that. And I really hope that's not the case. Um, But good news is the Celtics will still win, Um, but they're not as uh, untouchable as they've been. They've got a, in-season tournament game against the Bulls. Thank God it's in Boston, not Chicago. But the big thing for me in the past two weeks for the Celtics is the depth because it's really being tested. I mean, we've seen a couple of moments where, or we've seen a couple of games where one guy has been out, whether it's like Jalen Brown's taking the night off, Derek White's taking the night off, Al Horford's taking the night off. But when there are two guys or three guys missing, you know, and it's not just that, it's the big acquisitions that they had and have really been the motor as you've seen in the past couple of games, you know, without, without having Drew Holiday, the defense lacks a little bit. With no Kristaps Porzingis, uh, the the flexibility of uh, of your play style kind of misses. So uh, not having those two guys is, is huge. So really for Porzingis and Holiday, like we all know what it was, you know, entering the year. As long as they can be healthy and they can make it through a full 82 games, 
it's just as important as finding the right rotation pieces. So I forget who asked it, uh, Joe Mazzula in the post game after the win over the Hawks. Um, I think it might've been Gary Washburn again, a guy with a history with Missoula. Um, But I think he asked like, is sacrificing good play for just testing rotation pieces key? And I think Missoula did make a good point of, you know, it, it can be a yes and a no, because I, I do think they do need to focus on the depth outside of that top six. And we kind of already know the eight players um, who have been playing. You know, we know it's the the top starting five. You got Horford off the bench, and then you got Sam Hauser, Peyton Pritchard, which, by the way, Hauser has locked up his spot in the rotation, um, shooting 45% from three this year. I mean, my goodness. It just goes to show that when you give a guy consistent minutes and give him a consistent spot in the rotation, then it's going to translate to good things. So those eight are for sure. But it's that 9 and 10, maybe even an 11, where that's how you have to get through the regular season because there is wear and tear that goes on. I mean, we've seen guys like uh, Nemius Keda, I think is the guy, uh, Luke Cornett, uh, Delano Banton, um, O'Shea Brissett. You know, it, it's just a matter of finding those consistent guys. And honestly, if you're asking me, I, I think another big center like Cornette and Keda, I think would be one of those guys. Um, I know Cornette had a great game in the loss to Orlando, um, but that that's something to monitor. I, I don't know who is going to be number nine and number 10. I really, I think just those these next couple of games have to be figuring it out because we know Kristaps Porzingis is going to be reevaluated in about a week uh, with the calf strain. And we know Drew Holiday, you know, they're not going to rush him back. Uh, but now we also have Derek White, who's got an illness as well. You know, obviously guys are sitting out. We know Tatum was questionable with an illness at one point. Jalen Brown was questionable with an illness at one point. But it's finding those back end of the rotation pieces that I think are going to be uh, crucial for this stretch for the Celtics. That and then just trying to rid themselves of these old tendencies. I don't know what it is, but they continue to just show up no matter who is on there. And it just seems like they get away when it gets to crunch time. They get away from the play style of pacing the ball, getting some good uh, passes, you know, moving without the ball. It just gets down to too much isolation and hero ball. They slow down their pace, which really to me is uh, concerning that these guys don't recognize it, that, when they get to the fourth quarter, they somehow seem to slow down, which should not be the case. They should continue to play with the same pace uh, and dictate it every single time. So depth and avoiding the old tendencies is really going to be crucial, uh, at least for until we get to 2024. Then we can really start to ramp up and talk about maybe some playoff seating, uh, getting guys healthy, you know, stuff like that. So that's the scene in Boston sports. I can't say it's great. Can't say it's horrible. So Kind of just right there in the middle. But uh, up next, as we always do, we get on the lighter side of things with our LOL moment of the week. Lastly, as we always do to end our show, our LOL moment of the week, where we look at the moment in the past week of sports that Put a little smile on our face. And we are actually going to go to an NFL personality for this one. Now, 
For those football fans that know, we're always tuning in to NFL Red Zone. If your team isn't playing, you're just throwing on Red Zone, and Red Zone will give you updates uh, from a bunch of different games that are happening. Um, There was a little bit of a curveball thrown at the NFL Red Zone host, Scott Hansen, and it got everyone talking. Take a look at what happened when Scott Hansen was doing his update uh, during the 4 o'clock slate of games in the NFL. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a first in my 20-something year broadcasting career. We have an alarm going off in the studios of NFL Red Zone right now in our studios here in Inglewood, California. We are being told we need to evacuate the building. We do not know the nature of the emergency. You can probably hear the alarm going right over the top of my right shoulder here uh, as it is something absolutely unprecedented for us. And we come back into the studio right now. I am reminded of an old Chinese proverb which says, May you live to see interesting times. I've never had this happen before. I'm pretty sure all of our professionals haven't either. But we soldier on with the top five plays. Of the- so as you heard, the fire alarm was going off and he just kept pushing through. And I got to tell you, in the past couple of years, Scott Hansen has learned about his role uh, in the NFL world. His role has been to just host Red Zone and tell everyone what's going on in the score. And that just makes everyone fall in love with him even more. I mean, the fact that he knows about this label and he's going through uh, this, if he's going this effort to provide Red Zone, continue to go, you know, that alarm is still blaring eh, eh, and he's still just talking normally. I mean, he's had to scream a little bit, but the fact that he's still continuing with red zone just makes everyone um, fall in love with him even more. Scott Hansen, I, I applaud you. If I could stand up here in uh, I would uh, to progress and have red zone the way it is, because let's face it. When you hear a fire alarm, everyone should be out of the building for sure. Um, the, the issue that Scott Hansen was having, you know, sort of the moral dilemma was that, wait a second. I'm hosting Red Zone. All these people depend on me uh, to provide them the scores. Um, and it, um, he was able to keep going. I'm sure like it, it It probably was something simple, probably like someone like burned toast or something like that. You know, some overcooked food, <laughs> uh, something like that. Um, but Scott Hansen just powering through it, still going with Red Zone, providing us on a tremendous game between the Eagles and the Bills. I mean, nothing but respect for uh, Scott Hansen uh, for Continuing with his NFL red zone coverage while the fire alarm in the building was going off, he's earned himself into this week's LOL moment of the week. And just like that, we are done with episode 95 of Let Me Speak. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Make sure you are following me on Instagram, Facebook, and X, the brand formerly known as Twitter. Uh, You can just search my name, Joe Braverman. Uh, Follow the podcast as well on Facebook and Instagram. All you got to do there is search Let Me Speak Podcast. Once again, we thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time for the 96th edition of Let Me Speak. Later! Later!